This is Changeling the Podcast. Changeling the podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with this is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. How do? What are we talking about today, Puka? We will be diving into the supplement Kingdom of Willows, which is about the eponymous realm in the southern part of Concordia. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. It's like all of the south, but Florida. And maybe right. <laughs> Florida is its own, its own particular. I couldn't tell uh, if Texas is part of it. No, Texas is at the Kingdom of the Burning Sun, apparently. Okay. But yeah, their definition of the South, I mean, there are lots of definitions of yeah. the South, of course, but the one that they're using here is kind of like south of the Mason-Dixon lines, uh, then the Ohio River, but then also Arkansas and Louisiana, but not Florida. So it's like, okay. Yeah. Is D.C. traditionally the South? Anyway. Uh... It depends who you ask. <laughs> so. Yeah. Anyway, yes, this was uh, written by Jackie Caseta and Nikki Ria, developed by Ian Lemke still. This is another, unfortunately, very black and white book. Yeah, it is, in my opinion, a criminal act to have Rebecca Gly art in black and white. Mm-hmm. And this book has numerous examples of that. Anyway, so it is worth pointing out that this book is about the southern United States, which has had, to put it as politely as possible, a fraught relationship historically with issues of race and class and a few other things. This book, we can talk about how well it handles those things when Mm -hmm. we get to the end maybe, but as we go through this episode, there might be a couple points where we just flag a couple things and say, hey, this part of the book is actually kind of gross. So yeah, it definitely tries to handle these things. It tries. I'm not convinced it entirely succeeds. Yeah. There are a number of sort of small moments throughout the book, in particular character descriptions that tend to focus on skin color. Uh, Mm -hmm. But then there are like a few really overtly icky pieces, which I understand why they included. I just don't want to read them. So (laughs) there's also a lot of language usage choices. And I don't know how much is this is from 1998 or not. Well, yeah, yeah. I think that's part of it. It is also worth saying that Jackie and Nikki were kind of well-established in, I think, near Asheville. So kind of at the center of the Kingdom of Willows. And like, I think of this book as kind of like their love letter to the region. So mm-hmm. it, it shows. But... I just kept thinking, like, I think White Wolf was still based out of Atlanta at the time, mm-hmm. which is the capital of the Kingdom of Willows. Yes. Also... Well, it's convenient for doing the research, I suppose. I would, I would mm-hmm. hope that Atlanta is more accurate than some of the other city books that we've yes. seen. <laughs> this is an area where I definitely have no idea. I'm not yeah. the, I would not be the person to write it. So yeah, I have limited experience. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's, it opens up at a party. I actually kind of like a lot of the story in here, but I have to say it read to me like the least chemistry of any romantic relationship <laughs> between David and his, what's how, how do you pronounce her name? The, Feralith. Fairless. They have no 
the way it's written, there's just I, I thought they were trying to set it up as being like, no, but I think they're supposed to be genuinely love each other, but it just does not read that way. It's maybe also worth pointing out that this book was written by lovely queer folks. So, yes. <laughs> Oh, and there's lots of other great writing here. It's just this bit is like, I guess they don't know how to write hat couples. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would know how to do like a straight romance scene either. So, yeah, but it is definitely like a meta plot advancement story because it's yes. When we previously had Immortal Eyes, those were all kind of setting slash, you know, story idea books or sample story books, some of which connected to the running thread of the Immortalized Quest. This is like the broad second edition meta plot. This is really the first mm -hmm. point where it gets pushed forward. Chapter six actually gives like a blow by blow, but the mm -hmm. brief sort of summary is that it's the wedding reception of High King David and his bride Fairleth whom some people think he fell in love with suspiciously quickly. And they're at the home of her uncle, Melge, the King of Willows. And it seems he's maneuvered his ward uh, into a position to become High Queen, then executes this plan to sort of remove David from the political equation by dragging him and getting him beaten up with cold iron. So then he convinces David to abdicate his throne because he's like, oh, they're coming for you. You better abdicate. And then... Um, Caliburn deserts him. So he's like, oh, I guess I'm really not king anymore. And as everyone's kind of running around trying to figure out what's going on, Caliburn appears to safe an issue who gets knighted on the spot by Fairleth and quested to find David. And Fairleth herself insists on setting out to complete the royal tour to kind of drum up support around Concordia. There's also like this metaphor of the Magnolia and there are these scenes where they're like, oh, don't touch the magnolia or it'll wither before your eyes. I don't recall magnolias ever doing that when I've... I thought that was like a magic magnolia, but... I guess so. <laughs> anyway, so that's that's the scene setting prologue. Yeah. And, you know, perfectly fine, I guess. I think my favorite character in this was Melge. Melge? 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 I say Melge. Melge. Okay. I like Sir Safe. I think Sir Safe is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Especially when he appears in later books. but uh, Yeah, I'm just thinking distinctly of how, what they wrote here for him. Mm. It's not bad, but... He is a great villain, I'll, I'll say that. Mm -hmm. So then we get into the introduction. Yeah. It describes a whole bunch of books I've never read. Well, it also, it also has the line, the first source book for the realms that make up the kingdom of Concordia. And I'm thinking, and last, because we did not get any other kingdom books. <sighs> So I guess War in Concordia was kind of a Kingdom of Apples book, but not nearly to the same level of no. detail as this one. Just a Kingdom of San Francisco book. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, we have sort Bunch of, of films I haven't seen. Yeah. I mean, they really they did their okay, software when it comes to media references and suggested reading and viewing. I certainly haven't read most of the history and culture, geography and travel stuff. But in terms of like the fiction, they talk about. Faulkner and McCullers and O'Connor, mm -hmm. Alice Walker, Alex Haley, Ernest Gaines. Like, there's some good names on here. Maya Angelou, Tennessee mm -hmm. Williams. Films-wise, though, it's kind of like, whenever I see a media reference list like this, I almost wish that there was a delineation between, here's stuff that you should probably read and watch to get a general sense of, like, the background ethos of the setting, and then mm -hmm. here's stuff that you should read or watch because it's applicable to the game. Because yeah. when I see something like Gone with the Wind or Deliverance, I wouldn't 
like recommend those films to anyone mm-hmm. for any reason probably but yeah. i understand that they're part of the the general discourse of what the south mm-hmm. is whether or not it's accurate so yeah. like i think interview the vampire oh, that's another movie i'd seen that maybe that shouldn't have been for either of this <laughs> right well and i can imagine that for the vampire supplement new orleans yeah. by night because it's probably more accurate than that book with its claims of sewers and subways subway? but yeah i don't know some of these your mileage may vary i guess we also have some information here where we're told the mood is about the clash of nostalgia and the excitement over new possibilities and in case you needed a reminder of exactly when this was written it talks about like oh the renewed hope of the recent re-election of president bill clinton like oh (laughs) that aged in a direction And then the themes are things like ambition is its own reward, often coming at great cost to personal honor, Mm -hmm. which is actually quite elegant as like a unifying principle for a book. And I wish more of them did something like that. But then also appearances and stereotypes. I would say the book doesn't overall shy away from some of the more difficult parts of the past. Mm -hmm. Like it's not glossing over them entirely, but... I'm concerned that some of the angles they would come across as like apologetic. Well, the whole history is explicitly written by a puka that they say that. <laughs> there is also that, yes. And then, but it just it reads okay. We might wait for the chap, the history chapter, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, well, we can we can proceed yeah. to the history chapter, chapter one. So it's, yeah, it's written by Slevin Teague, dog puka, and then there's like a she who's like writing notes critical of it the tour director but the tour director (laughs) i think the pukas are more accurate which is kind of well there is i mean the the conceit here is that slevin is the chronicler for king nyaga and that he has provided this history which Mm -hmm. lady aramith nifiona is kind of like adding her little marbleized scented post-it notes to and clarifying a few things and there are actually a couple points where sort of in character she calls out some of what he says which i think is actually really good but we'll get Mm -hmm. to but it's definitely yeah the definition of an unreliable narrator and i'm like Mm -hmm. cleverly done writers cleverly done yeah and it starts with uh nunahi we're here and and some of the awkward pre-shattering she's (laughs) I mean, not, the way they did not it, too like, much though. <laughs> I I feel like if you had to keep it in, the way they did it in this book, given it was already there, you know, if they weren't trying to contradict it, it's like, oh, they just were more white people. Okay, yeah, like in the Americas, just happened to show up early is how it's written before the dark before the Black Death. Yeah, and it is nice that we do actually get a significant amount of information about the Nunyahi that are mm-hmm. that's more three-dimensional than what we've seen so far yeah so that at least we get that first which is good i assume for like the trolls coming with vikings to new york and the she across the Tras to the southeast i assume there was some kind of feedback about that because unlike when we've seen that previously where it's just kind of a given it's kind of mitigated repeatedly here where like mm-hmm. oh this might just be legend oh you know some of those she you know they were poorly behaved from the start even though they they say that they made friends with the nuni so i guess that's good <laughs> yeah it was like some made alliances and some some of the sheep broke the alliances and they also just conquered places but yeah. also made treaties which is just 
how colonization happened, I guess. So, yeah, there is a suggestion that even though the sundering and then the shattering were kind of catalyzed in Europe, that it hit the Americas at the same time, which mm -hmm. I feel like contradicts what we've seen before about the shattering kind of unfolding at different points in time. But it depends on what you mean by the shattering. I suppose. So when we did our dreams and nightmares episodes, when it talked about what the shattering is, it describes it very differently from some other books. And this feels like the dreams and nightmares shattering mm. as it not the autumn world, like the dreaming shattering hat hit, mm, yeah. but not the autumn world as much. Yeah. It does post date dreams and nightmares. So yeah. And then it talks about a second shattering, mm. but that's the autumn world with colonization and stuff. So. Yeah. I will admit, I don't know how much of the information is accurate that we get about the indigenous folks. Like, mm -hmm. given that this was the 90s, I assume it was taken from some kind of encyclopedia of yeah. unknown and accuracy. I know, <laughs> again, I don't know much about these regions in general, so it's let alone. So then um, we get some colonial bits. There's a nice little sidebar about the lost colony at Roanoke, which hints at a possible connection with werewolf. And it's certainly mm -hmm. less fraught than the Madoc the She stuff and some mm -hmm. other you know, pieces. This entire chapter, the feel that it gave me, it felt more like a social studies textbook than most history sections. But yep. given the sort of dearth of information we got in places like some of the Kith books, I think I'm okay with it. Yeah, it reads to me like a high school, like grade nine or 10 history right. textbook, yeah, yeah, yeah. but then throwing in changeling stuff. And I'm like, right. It's like history, but contextualized, which is good. Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew some of the things in here, but there's a lot of things I didn't know, which means I don't know if it's accurate, but I mean, it's still handy to have that if you're going to yeah. be referencing it later. Yeah, there's a lot in here about the sort of indigenous and European conflicts of the time, like that's sort of the defining narrative for mm -hmm. this portion. I did really love the sidebar on privateers and pirates, and I really wish that there was more for that. <laughs> mm -hmm. And they mentioned Steed Bonnet from Our Flag Means Death, because he was a real person. It's lovely. The gentleman pirate who just decided to be a pirate one day. Um, but it is sort of a more changelings were present for slash subtly influenced history rather than the old like vampire trick of yeah that so-and-so was a vampire or mage mm -hmm. for that matter yeah there was a few like this person probably wasn't a changeling but they should have been right this person, they rumored this person's a don andrew jackson's a dantane but that nah, doesn't seem right <laughs> just autumn just terrible yeah just a terrible person mm -hmm. so Someday I want to do a Fiefs of Brife Paradise book too and just go all in mm -hmm. on the pirate stuff, but that's for another day. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, so we kind of go through the Carolinas, we go through Georgia, New Orleans and the Gulf Coast, like just kind of, this is why I said it reminds me of a social studies textbook because I remember learning like the history of each of those in the colonial mm -hmm. era in school and then leading up to the Revolutionary War and the involvement of indigenous allies creation of dc it was short but like the write-up on war of 1812 was not incorrect in my opinion <laughs> ah see interesting because that that i imagine you learned a lot more about in school than i did yeah no one won and the indigenous people lost is the yeah <laughs> which is followed pretty quickly by the trail of tears yeah. discussion there's an interesting note in here i can't remember where i saw it but there's the implication that European Cathanes see Concordians as, quote, half-barbaric children. 
And I'm like, yep. did we see that before? I don't remember that like being a... I, mean, I think there was some stuff in Isle of the Mighty or maybe the... What was the Iron Man mm. book again? Where they were like, King David's obviously not the high king of the world. He's just right. the American king. Still though. So I feel like now that we're, we're kind of getting into the 1800s part of the history in particular. Mm-hmm. So the plantation system and slavery are discussed to an extent, but they keep getting interrupted by kind of hitching them to one-off historical events and things like the War of 1812. So it ends up being a more of this like historiographic discussion than mm-hmm. an emotional one. We kind of learn about the causes and consequences of these systemic injustices without really a moral or emotional commentary. And I don't think that really does the discussion any favors, especially because there's pretty limited information about how the Kithane were involved. And like, Mm -hmm. if I'm left to draw my own conclusions, they don't look good, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing, like I was thinking about this, like as a grade nine history textbook, I thought it did an okay job, Mm -hmm. but and the bolting on the fae just felt like past the Nunahi part, like once you got to like colonization mm-hmm. and whatnot, it was just mostly just like, yeah, okay. And then yeah. the fae in, in the Civil War, they fought on both sides. I'm like, yeah, well, <laughs> I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, but <laughs> yeah, but it was just a lot of, and then the fae did the stuff the humans did. Okay, right. good. Whatever. I could have guessed that. And I don't necessarily think that they would, I guess, as part of my issue Mm. or at least not to the same not with the same sort of like proportions i don't know i'm gonna have more to say about this when we get to like the individual characters part but i think overall the author seemed especially invested in foregrounding the plight of the local indigenous groups but it often felt like it came at the expense of talking about other forms of racism or prejudice Uh, they did talk a lot about it they didn't keep slavery out of it like by any stretch yeah but I, I, I feel like it's very clinical. Yeah, that's that's the way to put it. Yeah. Whereas talking about the Nunyi didn't feel clinical. That felt a lot yeah. more emotionally involved. But that being said, there are two notes from Lady Aramaith, the tour planner, which are fantastic. And like the one is, hey, maybe the Nunyi don't like you, not because of the pre-shattering she stuff. Maybe it's the fact that you did nothing to stop their displacement and profited off the dreams of greed mm-hmm. instead. And the others, like, uh, yeah, the Kithane were 100% involved in the lead up to the Civil War. So, yeah. like, I like that the history is sort of eliding those details. And she's, like, calling out the historian and being like, uh, hey, actually. So I don't know what kind of meta commentary is happening there, but I'm here for it. This actually ties into, again, unreliable Puka narrator. So, But uh, this ties yeah. into all of the changeling history stuff about the interregnum. It feels like they're just ignoring the gap of, like, no Arcadian she. Especially back when, like, the only she here were Skahawk, right? But they don't talk about, like, the way the Kithane society feels the same as now. The way they're acting around the Civil War and all the other things. Like, it, it's like they, it's still the she there <laughs> somehow. Yeah. It's like, maybe just some Boggins and Trolls and Knockers filled in the she place. Like, it, it was weird. It's not here's here, it's all the books. There are a couple interesting notes, though. Like, there's a mention that the Ishu used Wayfair on the Underground Railroad and that the yeah. Satyrs and Puka were kind of the bad guys in plantation culture. So there's bits. But yeah, I, I think um, this came up before, and I can't remember when, talking about the sort of what were the realms of Concordia before Concordia existed. 
Like mm-hmm. we get very little information on that. Yeah, this this gets into at least later the Kingdom of Willows was formed, which was mm. Anyway, we have a whole lot of stuff around the lead up to the Civil War and the immediate aftermath, which I kind of don't want to get too deeply into because some mm-hmm. of it I imagine will be unpleasant for some folks to listen to. I assume that when they were writing this, they felt like it was kind of necessary to understand Southern dreams, a lot of what yeah. what underpins Southern dreams. But I also kind of feel like, especially now, 25 years later, I don't feel like I need a reminder given some of the stuff happening. I now, but... think, if you're, especially if this is supposed to be for an international audience, I think it's very important. To, I'm not saying they did it perfectly the way they did it, but I think that content has to be there in some form. I guess so. I'm always on edge when I see even the door being cracked open towards any sort of apologetics for historical... You know, oh, no, I don't mean that. I think they just need to... I think not covering that historical period would have been bad, is all I'm saying. Yeah. In any case, post-war, they talk about various things, about reconstructing with new industries and women gaining more visibility the sort of recalcitrant racism of a lot of the inhabitants, the -hmm. shadow court getting really dominating, I suppose, the politics of the area. I'm not used to shadow court being pre-resurgence, like interregnum shadow court. I don't recall a lot about that before this book. Yeah, but we have a lot of shadow court NPCs in this book. Mm -hmm. And yeah, then, like you said before, there's the implication that the Fae were caught up in the same sort of fraught politics as their dreamers, but... What I really want is for any Confederate Cathane to be long lost to banality, but alas, that's not what we get. So. No, I well, that's that's we can get into the whole banality doesn't mean bad and glamour doesn't mean good. And I think that's a really big place to have that. Well, all that aside, I think that it, it was the death of a major dream yeah. for them. Yeah, I mean, that gets into other things. There's a lot of dreams of death of other dreams in Changeling too. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that in U.S. history, that's one of the big ones. <laughs> that's yeah. one of the big dead dreams. And I mean, not that that has stopped mm-hmm. certain individuals from trying to resurrect. You know. Yeah. And there's also the question of at the time versus the semi to fully fascist historical dream yeah. of a thing. So like, well, it was happening. That was pretty banal. Yeah. And the dream is, well, anyway, we don't have to get into yeah. the, we don't have to hash out the full glamour and banality of it, but Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not a chapter of history that I plan to run a game in, but I understand no. why they included it as background. So mm-hmm. yeah, it would be bizarre if there's no reference reference to any of this in the in this. Yeah, of course, this, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we get on into the 20th century when they talk about sort of the literary renaissance, which is good mm-hmm. because Southern Gothic is definitely a mood, and they talk about Jim Crow laws as a cause for the Great Migration to the North. I really wish they had touched more on like the origin of blues. I really feel mm-hmm. like that would be a major piece to explore here, but they don't really yep. get into it. And then the depression and the world wars and the civil rights movement. I also have the note in here that I feel like repeatedly history is being racialized in the text, which I'd be more open to if it didn't feel oversimplified. I suppose mm-hmm. it had to be for a role-playing supplement. Like that's not the main point of the book and again the 90s were a different time but i don't know i just i keep finding myself left feeling uncomfortable because it keeps getting brought up 
but not really sufficiently dealt with to my taste. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Anyway, the racist past. It exists alongside the racist present. Mm -hmm. And then some things, yeah, the Depression, World War. Some of it read like, okay, yeah, I've read this section in how many changeling books. Mm. And then they're going off to fight in World War II. And, and it says Southern Kithane rather than other Kithane from the other books, for sure. Yeah. Although something that will come back later is the Manhattan Project in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Which I thought was a interesting tidbit to include. Yeah, I'm not even complaining about that rehashing it. I think you yeah, kind of have to do it. It's just... <laughs> You read enough history chapters in these, these yeah. books. And, you're like, and then we have the resurgence, which really like the resurgence and what follows gets so little space by comparison. <laughs> I This book seems to imply that the accordance war was mostly in like New York. I'm, I'm yeah. a little bit confused by that. Wouldn't there have been she all over the place? Well, so California, the Great Plains and the Northeast seem to have been the main battle areas mm -hmm. and there's more of that in fool's luck way of the commoner when we get to that like the big battles were sort of manhattan and philadelphia and the battle of the plains yeah. and san francisco and all that it's interesting that the noble commoners saw the returning she as carpetbaggers too i kind of thought that was an interesting piece but then we have sort of some setup for the meta plot. We learn that the King of Willows prior to Mergia was Barabbas, who had seized the kingdom mm -hmm. thanks to, quote, Sherman-esque campaigns, which I'm just going to roll my eyes and move on from that adjective. Yep. There was a revolt in 1990 that ended in his assassination by Mergia. I just read it as he has lots of tanks. Sorry. <laughs> sure. <laughs> for context, in the state of Georgia in particular, my understanding is that there's still a lot of bitterness over General Sherman's march to the sea in the Civil War when he kind of started mm -hmm. at one corner of the state and went to the other, burning and pillaging along the way. Oh, uh, okay. Sorry, I didn't... Yeah, that's the... I was just thinking Sherman tanks. Yeah, they got... We didn't cover that in Canadian world history class. No. So I wish we had more sort of actual information about the area, the autumn version, since 1969. There's bits that say, like... Milga solicits investment by industry and land development, which actually has become quite an issue in the 25 years since this book came out. But that's really, that's really it. I mean, I feel like the tone through the whole section, if I had to sort of encapsulate it, is like, the South is much more complicated than people give it credit for. It's often misunderstood yeah. and, you know, but it has its share of issues. And I'm like, well, all right. I found it kind of dry the tone like the writing style i don't know that i would call it dry i would call it trying to be neutral like struggling for neutrality <laughs> mm -hmm. that's sort of the the vibe that i get from it i have no idea how i'd play the puka that actually wrote this i think is my biggest <laughs> yeah well and there's a lovely the the missive at the end by adamith that kind of mm -hmm. bookends it there's that piece about the king mirrors the land and the land mirrors the king. And it actually is a nice sort of summary of the, the state of things better than we actually mm -hmm. get in the Puka history stuff. Frankly, it's difficult to read this now because I feel like in the last 25 years, a lot of the issues that they point to have kind of just become entrenched and exacerbated. And I can only imagine that for the two of them living there in the 90s, 
it, it was kind of like things were on the up and up and there was a lot of hope and promise. And I just don't know if those promises have ever really borne fruit, especially mm. with a lot of what's going on politically. But, but yeah, Maybe we'll see in a few years. Yeah. Something's happening. Anyway, that's chapter one. Mm-hmm. I feel we should point out that this book is a very dense one. <laughs> yeah. Like it's shorter than Isle of the Mighty, but it's probably about as dense as Isle of the Mighty. Yeah. So. Let me do chapter two geography. Let's do it. This this wasn't written by that Puko, right? This is just it was not. This is the the omniscient voice, which is good. Um, I actually will yeah. say I do really like the setup of this chapter. So basically, the mm-hmm. Kingdom of Willows consists of the thirteen duchies. How many is it? But each one kind of gives some lush language to set the scene. They talk about physical geography and major cities mm-hmm. or landmarks, and then the natural and enchanted places, almost all of which have at least one or two story hooks, if not several, kind of thrown in there. And that's that's what I like to see from a geography chapter. There is a lot yeah. of tourist guidiness kind of scattered through, especially for parts where it seems like they're talking about states they haven't been to. But it's mm-hmm. not overwhelming, and there's enough other stuff that I feel like it's still usable. Well, this is also, it's not in the age of, it wasn't written in the age of Wikipedia, but it feels like it's getting closer to it with how they wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. And they have all these, like, read these other things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> want more information. Indeed. Should we just rocket through these? Yeah. All right. So we start with Willow's Heart, which is Georgia and Atlanta is the royal domain. I can't recall if other kingdoms have a royal domain like this. Maybe they were supposed to, but we don't really hear a lot about that. Because, like, there's there's King Melia, but there's also a baroness. Like, I don't know. I'm just kind of confused by the actual feudal structure of this. But anyway. Oh. Yeah, it's sort of how I assumed it worked, but it could just be that's... Yeah. There's a lot of talk about Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil in relation to Savannah, because that book and film had recently come out and were sensations mm. at the time. There's mention of glamour from sports. There's the Botanical Garden, the Fox Theater. There's universities. And not a single mention of Dragon Con, which I think yes. existed by that point. Or the headquarters of Black Dog Game Studios. <laughs> yeah. So... They also say the natural kingdom's heart are the sea islands on the coast, which are a satyr puka pirate base. And then we don't hear anything more about that again. <laughs> Important places include Milga's Palace in Willow's Heart proper, Wisteria Hall in Savannah. So you kind of have this Sealy versus Unsealy, Savannah versus Atlanta kind of thing, as well as the florist primeval freehold that we read about in Freeholds and Hidden Glens, the barony of Vellumton led by Aron and Elowin around the college town of Athens. And then the Echota Council lands, which are the Nunyahi domain up north. And I was like, oh, awesome. That's really cool that it exists. And then there's the note that they spend all their time attacking Willow's heart. And I'm like, yeah. So, Georgia. Although after you read more about Willow's heart, I kind of want to attack it too, but still. Yeah. No, I'm not saying they're in the wrong. It's just, I, yeah. I would hope they do other things sometimes. Mm-hmm. So we got Duchy of Cotton, which is, there's a lot of political intrigue things. So it's in theory, Alabama and Mississippi, but maybe it's just Alabama because there's a disputed Duchess of Mississippi, basically. And yeah. Yeah. Well, and Mississippi is Magnolia's home. 
mm-hmm. which actually sounds more interesting to me. I mean, they kind of list a bunch of stuff in both, but the Mississippi stuff seems like more story potential to me. Yeah. Especially the, the Faulknerite muses in Oxford, Mississippi. Yeah. One thing these all have is a natural places section. Yeah. Interesting. And it gives an opportunity to kind of showcase some of the Nunyahi freeholds mm-hmm. and connections. So, yeah, they have the enchanted places of Ferris Castle, which is like, is that an iron castle? What? Is that spelt right? Well, he <laughs> is he is the iron forger for the king. Yeah. Duke Fire Drake. And he, I love his dragon. Yes. That thinks he's the seneschal of the area of the castle. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have Duchess in quotes, Agrania in Biloxi. Biloxi. Biloxi comes up a lot here. Yeah, they have a rivalry. Her freehold causes people to slip into bedlam. Yeah, and then the king's like, you should sort it out by getting married. And they're both like, no. And then, Well, and he's in love with her, but she's not in love with him, if I remember rightly. <laughs> they eventually say she finds him hot, though. Mm. One thing that bothered me, they, they have like these brief references. So in particular, from Magnolia's home, they talk about river landing along the dream Mississippi. And the Mississippi is such a storied and legendary river in u.s culture particularly southern culture that i kind of felt like it was undersold here like there are Mm -hmm. moments where they bring it up and there's the the steamboat or not steamboat the paddle boat freehold but there's a lot more to unpack from that yep and there's uh pelican's roost tiny freehold run by the southern preacher healer faith healer pelican puka yep Get him more about him. I later. quite like him actually. Yes. <laughs> we get to the characters chapter. Spirit Rock, which I yes. think I've heard of before, but yeah. And a lost one freehold, the Magnolia's Grove. Mm-hmm. So then we get the Duchy of the Delta Crescent, which is Louisiana, apparently one of the most diverse places in the Kingdom of Willows in New Orleans. But changelings are always kind of freaked out by all the wrought iron there, which probably explains why it's more of a vampire city than a changeling one. In mm-hmm. part. As well as headquarters for a particularly active group of Dantain and controlled yeah, by like, Shadow Court. It's like the super Shadow Court changeling place. Yeah. yeah. Story potential there. Yeah. And I really like, this is for the whole chapter, I love the attention to detail about sort of the types of plants and the details about like landforms and waterways. Yeah. I don't know. I just really enjoy that. Yeah. I, yeah. This really does feel like it's a Nunahi source book too. Like it's yeah. very much yeah, meant yeah, yeah. for that your Nunahi game and it even like presents it as like here's how your groups you could have multiple different Nunahi kits together yeah and it's a more solid representation than the other options so yeah <laughs> not that it's perfect but mm-hmm. of the ones we have from the count there's a lot of taking things and then not contradicting them but trying to make it better i think yeah there's a lot of little notes like Cajun changeling is having a an easy come easy go approach to glamour, or the Duchess funding her wildlife preservation with fundraisers where you can meet a black spiral dancer. Like, you know, that's <laughs> those are choices, and I like it. But it also makes me like think about again, since this book came out, how much things have changed. I mean, like obviously you have Hurricane Katrina, mm-hmm. so yeah, this was like at this period of time, like everybody I knew was like, oh, like New Orleans was like one of the places you really wanted to visit one day. And Well, I think it's still worth a visit, but yeah, but there's a lot of dreams around it before the, yeah, it still yeah. has it, but yeah. Yeah. So then we have 
Do you want to move on to the Duchy of Palmetto? Palmetto. It's all of South Carolina. Sometimes I think they stick too closely to like mortal state borders. Yeah. Like, <laughs> at least make the yeah. Carolinas one kingdom or duchy or something. I don't know. Especially if you're going to have Mississippi and Alabama's sort of one. But yeah, it talks about Charleston, Myrtle Beach, which is the only place I knew about it at all. And one of the most banal places on earth. Yeah, it's like the like your friend. It's like somebody comes back after March break and they're tanned, and it's like, "Where'd yes. you go? Oh, we just went to Myrtle Beach." Like as the we wanted to go somewhere else, but we went Myrtle Beach instead. You know? Yeah, and it's got the Palmetto Court and among the enchanted places. Oh, there's a Snowed Seder Enclave dedicated to restoring old Grecian rites. Yeah, what was the drama that competition and dances? <laughs> I feel like that must be a reference to something, but I have no idea what. Maybe there was a weird art colony there. I guess there there must have been that they were like fans of. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of little in-jokes that I just go right over my head in this Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how I would do this. I'd be like, talk to people and Mm -hmm. they're like, oh yeah, there's a weird thing here. I'm like, okay, that's going in here. That's fair. Yeah. So there's a couple references to the Sea Islands, which are kind of along the coast from South Carolina down through Georgia, being part of the Gulf of Free State. And I really wish we had more information about them and the Echota Council lands because they're mm-hmm. mentioned. But again, we don't really get solid information. And in particular with the Gulf of Free State, because we have Ciantilla, who's supposed to be the oldest known changeling, who's been like a changeling for over 80 years. I would rather hear more about that than about like changelings go to Fort Sumter to get glamour from the dreams of secession. I'm like, if I had to pick one, <laughs> if I yeah. had to pick one thing where I could use more information, but then there's a nymph. Do we get a nymph here? I guess she's meant to be a Kubera, but the angel oak nymph. No, they get into nymphs. Nymphs are a different kind of an anime. We get into that later. So this was the book before an anime came out, I think. So yeah. Kubera had not been formally, yeah, so Nymph like, might have still referred to tree. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it when we get to it. But it's, yeah. It's yeah. Anyway. The book. Yeah. <laughs> so then there's the Duchy of the Triangle, which is not all of North Carolina, but the eastern and central part. What? A yeah. Knocker's Paradise. There's references to techno changelings, which I kind of like, but um, Knockers oh. and Redcaps and Trolls involved in the university culture. There's a note in here that I think really drives home the point that there are a lot of changelings because the city of Winston-Salem, which is quite small, apparently has a private troll army guarding its student body. And Mm. I'm like, Winston-Salem is not that big. So if they can support multiple trolls, let alone any other kith. But yeah. Well, yeah, given how many duchies we have here and all the duchies have counties and all the counties have baronies and right <laughs> they all have courts and a bunch of them have like rival courts and not to mention all the commoners so. yeah there's notes about the outer banks i was kicking myself when i read through this because when i was doing the book of days homebrew supplement i did have one of them be a, a wright brothers flight memoriam thing mm-hmm. but i don't think i i can't remember if i specifically mentioned that like there's this pilgrimage to Kitty Hawk every year that they talk about. And then we get to the big one. Or, well, the, the important of, one, I think, from the perspective of the authors, given how many... Duchy of Appalachia. Yep. And this is like, 
this felt like follow-up from Rage Across Appalachia, which was absolutely nominally yeah. a changeling book, but mostly yes. werewolf. It's their home turf. I get it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's very lushly described, which is that's what I care mm-hmm. The natural places are as long as all the other ones, though. It's yes. <laughs> the enchanted places, Orchard Castle, Coal Town. I can't remember which of these. Do they call out the ones, all of them, that were previously described? I think Orchard Castle we very briefly heard about, but didn't get a yeah. write-up for. And then High Castle we definitely did. Chimney Tops I think we did in Rage Across Appalachia. Mm-hmm. The others I think are all new for this. Yeah. We have one of the few examples of a Thorpe. What's a Thorpe again? A fairy town. In this case, oh, yeah. Coal Town. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that one in Wales. Oh, the Court of Balsam we also saw before, and the Dancing Ground. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is rehashed from those earlier books. But we have, yeah. like, specific Nunyahe places as well, which is good. Yeah, it's just interesting. They called out other changeling books, but they didn't call out Rage Across Appalachia as... Yeah. To Werewolf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, this is certainly the richest if you're if you're looking for running a chronicle in this area and you want to just have lots mm-hmm. of fey heavy places. This is certainly the place to. Yeah, and an, a lot of mentions of the werewolf stuff too. Yeah. Did you also notice how in the natural places they talk about rumors of glens and groves that host whole families of nymphs? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. I'll soon get kithbook nymph. Yes, soon. Maybe by the time this recording actually drops, I'll have started it. So then we get the Duchy of Bluegrasses, which is non-Appalachian Kentucky for the ones who are obsessed with horses. This is where all the fairy steed Mm -hmm. stuff comes in. And honestly, I didn't feel like there was much else of interest in this part. Yeah, it's like, oh, look, there's horses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you have the Mammoth Caves piece with like the Slua kind of... Isn't this where like bluegrass music comes from? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And bourbon for that matter. Yeah. Okay. So like sometimes I feel like they're just looking for excuses to fold changelings into whatever local tidbit they can find. So for example, in Louisville, we have baseball enthusiast Kithane forming a group called the Old Town Sluggers who are like, I guess, inspired by the dreams of baseball bats. Did that need to be a thing? I mean, like, I guess it adds richness to the world building, but it just takes up space with stuff that I'll probably never use. Or if I did, I would be able to come up with it on my own. So this is the best geography chapter of a, of the autumn world that doesn't in terms of not doing that, but it still does it a lot. Yeah. Best. It does not mean perfect. Wait, why does it have Duchy of Bluegrasses? And then later under Enchanted Places, Duchy of Bluegrasses. They actually do that a few times, and I think it's like the the capital, the seat of the dukedom. Yeah, because I had a I was curious about that as well, but it happens a few times, and I think that's mm-hmm. just. I like the freehold of mammoth. That's the caves one, right? Yeah, yeah, the caves which all the slua. Which is, you know, I'm into it. I could I could take or leave the they rest. Have, they have lots of secrets that they get from the tourist attraction of caves there's not i can't imagine there's much happening around the caves to like right get political or whatever secrets to whisper to people but sure next the duchy of graceland I, so, this. yeah this is this is the one which <laughs> we can get into the the grossness of its ruler later but I get that they're highlighting a particular flavor of dark glamour, but man, I don't need it. Uh, well, we'll get into that. Yeah. 
What's funny is Memphis to me, I think of Memphis as like if I had to pick a place in this in the King of Willows as a tech hub, I would have picked Memphis. So that's kind of funny. But, mm. but maybe it wasn't in 1998. Well, there's extensive information about it, which is actually good. Yeah. I mean, they really emphasize the musical history, the civil rights history. And then Nashville gets like a bare paragraph. So. Yeah. And then there's the Duchy of the Ozarks, which I know very little about Arkansas, and I don't think the authors did either. Because yep. it feels like a checklist of places and names, a few of which have been vaguely changelingified. That's about it. I guess it's interesting that there's a slew of heir to the title, and there's a lack of political involvement. The character of Leland Joplin Jones, who's a puka jazz pianist who claims Scott Joplin as one of his moral ancestors, into that. But like... Yeah, mm-hmm. very brief. The shortest of all the sections. Yeah, then we get Duchy of Dogwood, which is the Virginia. It's just Virginia. See, okay, here's <laughs> something that bothers me is they have the line, oh, they ignore the arbitrary boundaries between the two. If my memory yeah. serves, they weren't arbitrary at all. <laughs> no, and they explain that oh. in the history chapter. Why? Yeah. So it's like, I mean, they're all yeah. arbitrary boundaries for states lines but uh that one's yeah 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 also washington dc is in virginia (laughs) well included with at least yeah yeah i have feelings about that too but um oh it's a district all to its like why do they need to do that like maybe split it in half i don't know dc is particularly tourist guidey and poorly described in this book like there's so much more to say about dc which We have a listener question about that, so we'll get to it later, but yeah. So they say it has overwhelming glamour mixed with overwhelming banality. And I like that. I like that Mm -hmm. description. Yeah, that's how I describe Ottawa too. It's very similar to what I've been doing for my write-up of New York in Mm -hmm. the changeling sense. So I get that. I do think Shenandoah is criminally undersold for its natural beauty here, and that Charlottesville's name hasn't aged well. But otherwise, this section is like, Mm -hmm. yeah, okay. And this is the one run by the gay couple with very little self-awareness, right? <laughs> if I recall correctly. The Jewish gay couple. Well, the, the one, the Baron Ash yeah. is Jewish. I don't believe yeah. Duke Cormac is. Oh, and yeah. what what is with these very extremely buff horsemen on page 71? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to do with this picture. Except <laughs> frame it. I think it needs, this needs color, though, the picture or something. Yeah, definitely. And then a bunch of enchanted places. A hunt club. That's a hunt club. Yeah. Okay. Kind of racist, I think. There's a lot of moments in this book where I was like, this is kind of racist, I think. So. Why does King David have a secret court in the heart of Washington, D.C.? I don't know, but I'm okay with it. Okay. It's an awesome little sidebar because it references a trod that leads to the deep dreaming, and those are few and far between. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess they just felt like... And the Shadow Duchy run by the Shadow Court twins, I think, is also a good story. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I mean. DC, they put some really good hooks in there, but then just didn't really develop the actual location that much. Yeah. And I wish they had. Well, it's weird, because they say it's not part of either Dogwood or Chesapeake, but then they make it part of Dogwood. <laughs> well, frankly, they probably could have just left Chesapeake out entirely, but... yeah. Oh, and now West Virginia's having its... Okay, I don't remember which of the Virginia and West Virginia. Which one was the Confederate one and which one was the... 
Virginia was Confederate. In fact, that's where the yeah. capital was. So. <laughs> the more aristocratic, sophisticated changelings east of the mountains. Right. And they're anti-Shi because the Shi all live in the Confederate state. Well, I think they're pointing to Virginia in particular has gotten more and more developed. I mean, and closer tied mm -hmm. to D.C., whereas West Virginia has remained very poor and underdeveloped. And there is that yeah. narrative, that discourse kind of in the air. I don't really know why, like, I don't think there was really any reason to do a disputed Duchy of Winterthorne other than to kind of make a changeling equivalent to that dichotomy between the two states. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's like a tip of the hat to its origins and they're recasting it instead of Union versus Confederate as commoner versus aristocrat. Yep. Yeah. But the landscape's yeah, a... lovely. <laughs> yeah. It still goes the, like, every state needs their own duchy except for alaska that's obviously just part of canada yes i mean it sounds beautifully horrific like you know like the what's his name the duke that's kind of going into bedlam but mm -hmm. they really avoided talking about what i would see as the very deep banality among the astounding natural glamour because it is a very impoverished place where like it's it's a hard life and all of the beauty and culture in the world doesn't feed your family, you know? Yeah. So if we were going to have this as like its own thing, I would have liked a little more about the actual dynamics of the people living there mm -hmm. and the structures there instead of just, here's this Duke that thinks he should be Duke. At least they mention Harper's Ferry, which is good to mention. Yep. And then we get to Duchy of Chesapeake. I'm a little baffled by the assertion that it's an aristocratic bastion, but all right. Well, you know, Baltimore. Yes. Baltimore is very well described. Yeah. And I mean, Ian Lemke, as we know, has a Storyteller's Vault supplement that is a Baltimore adventure. So I assume mm -hmm. he's been based out of there for a while. I think he mentioned in our interview with him. Yeah, this whole state, I, I keep forgetting, is at least next to the south. Like, yes. I just think of it as, yeah, that's New England, right? <laughs> I don't know my map very well. Well, as a representative of the Mid-Atlantic, I, I have thoughts and feelings. There's very much still a 90s cities are rotten vibe running through the Baltimore description. And <laughs> mm -hmm. we see that before the wire came out. Yeah, not by much, but yeah. And there's a, a reference, there's a line somewhere earlier where they talk about like, oh, all of the problems of the industrial cities of the Northeast. On the one hand, I'm like, okay, I get that in the 90s, that was still kind of the like, my yeah. parents didn't let me go to the city when I was a kid. I mean, it's also the world of darkness. Sure. But on the other hand, it's not like southern cities were without issues. <laughs> yeah. So, regardless, there's a lot about Maryland in here. Baltimore notwithstanding. Mm -hmm. I think my favorite is that there's a crab puka. And they mention Smith Island, which is very well known among linguists. Briefly, also with the, the Duchy of Chesapeake. I think as cookie cutter as the Duke's freeholds could be... The authors have really gone out of their way to describe each one in unique ways that are like equally opulent. Yeah. I'll still take Zrori the Pony Puka and the Assateek Dunes though. And Chincoteek. Mm -hmm. Like Misty of Chincoteek, the novel. Maybe that was the picture, a bunch of pony pukas. Oh uh, yeah. Pukas. Those buff pony pukas. <laughs> and we get more about the Mimigweshi here. So Yeah, this chapter. Bursting with information. <laughs> yep. Okay, 
Now we're on chapter three, politics and culture. Do you know what else didn't age well in this book are the sort of 90s ideas of the fuzzy boundary between liberal and conservative in the United States? Mm. (laughs) That was very 90s white wolf. That's like Mage the Ascension right there. Yeah. And it actually starts, though, with like more extended meta plots spelled out. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of the roots of the whole war in Concordia arc. Yeah. But very briefly, David has disappeared. Feralith wants to continue as high queen. David's sister Morwen refuses to allow this because she thinks Feralith has something to do with his disappearance. They both have supporters in the parliament. Some others think Morwen should be regent for Lenore, the heir, and a few others think sh- there should be a lottery for a new high king. So mm-hmm. that all happened. And there's a note that Milga is generally popular. I can't understand why, except that most of his subjects seem to be like deep shadow court. So that's yeah. probably why. No, they explain why. He's got he's got a magic item that makes him popular. Well, he's got a magic item, but also like there's a difference between thinking that he's an honest guy and liking his political choices. Yeah. And it's hard to differentiate between the two in here. Mm-hmm. There's also this dynamic they point out where they're like, oh, ambition and intrigue run hot in the counties as opposed to the baronies and the duchies. And I'm like, well, why? I feel like I've never seen that before and I've never seen that again. But, yeah. Middle management. There we go. I guess so. <laughs> when you're yeah. at the bottom, the only place to climb is up. They go through a bunch of political impulses stuff, which I know. I will just, just, just we're right back to the nobles, the shining host. It's here. just nobles, the shining host <laughs> stuff, and then a southern twist to states' rights. Anyway, yeah, well, that's that's like a dog whistle, right? <laughs> yep. I don't understand why the impulses keep coming up, but they're here. Yeah. But yeah, there's the the Sealy traditionalists who are like gone with the wind jerks, the reformers who are like constitutional monarchy beltway operatives and the modernists who are university types yep and then all the secret societies you know and love yeah oh i did want also so the unseelie modernist impulse why is there like suddenly this obsession with cold iron i noticed it a lot in this book that the unseelie seem all in on iron which while they were always the ones more willing to use it in the books Mm -hmm. even for them it seems like yeah i remember stuff about maybe some of the embracing trying to find a way to embrace banality but it's not like cold iron is a big part of the modern world that you know. right yeah <laughs> and they just seem to have this love affair with it yep anyway i'm just so uncomfortable with the separatists being hitched to the south stuff because it's just such a you know i mean slippery slope yeah if they just called it or, yeah anyway i get it i just ugh. it just feels like i need to take a bath oh and there's two new groups do we want to even mention them Oh, well, so, so yeah, then the societies mostly rehashes of the old ones. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that C20 cut these down because there are too many of them. Yeah. Cat's Cradle is referenced a lot in this book. Well, because, because Fairlith has been inducted. So I think the most interesting out of all the society stuff, which are also kind of, you know, through the Southern lens yeah. is that the ranters who are the radical commoners are kind of like the backwoods folk. And that the catacomb club, the commoner nobles, here they seem to function maybe more overtly, I can't remember, as an anti-Beltane blade. And I, I actually really like that. And yeah. they're kind of um, backroom political lobbyists, it calls them. Yeah. Overall, yeah, this didn't really 
There is yes, there's there are two new secret societies, one of whom <sighs> they're supremacists. Skip. And then the children of annihilation who I actually do kind of like where they're unseely extremist radicals that are trying to kind of inoculate themselves to banality and twisted glamour. Mm-hmm. And they hang out in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, the site of early research on the atomic bomb. There's story potential there. Yep. Yeah, that that I don't feel cringy bringing into my game. No. Even if I would agree with the world. Yeah. And I could see them making great villains. They're nice and twisted. Yeah. And then politics, Southern style. So painful to read. (laughs) And then honor. Honor as the cardinal virtue in Southern culture. Extended section on duels is actually really useful. Like Kingdom of Willows or no, I would absolutely use this dueling culture piece in a game. See, I just read all this. It's just Sealy. (laughs) I think what the sidebar on page 87 actually highlights is that you know, changelings, the she in particular, and players would care about mortal politics and the political implications of the different cultural pieces. Because I feel like mm-hmm. that's what this chapter is tilting at. And yeah, a lot of the stuff that is the traditionalist, conservative, I don't know, paternalistic, they say at one point, it does all smack mm-hmm. of Seely to me. Yep. There's like a thing on the gift-giving customs and manners, hospitality. Yeah, that's, why I, that's why I like that. My favorite part of the Unseelie Code's honor is a lie. I'm like, yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and like, there are Unseelie who are just outright evil in this book. Yep. But I kind of feel like pound for pound, the Seelie would have more of the folks that I would be not keen on. I'm not sure. Yeah. But anyway, we got some festivals, which I'm always into. And a throwaway mechanical note here that any changeling who participates in the funeral rites for another may gain a dot in remembrance, which is like, mm-hmm. well, that's hugely important and useful, and I'm going to use that as much as I can. Yeah, and then we have a, a sidebar on old-time religion. This gets brought up a little bit in here. I'm like, I, they don't mention House Liam at all here. They do not. <laughs> and if you're going to do that, I feel like you need House Liam there with everything we... Anyway... Yeah, it's a very politely universalist summary of all of the religions in yeah. the South. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I think this is the shortest chapter, isn't it? I mean, it's not. Yeah, I think so. It's not very long, and I think they knew what they were up against when it came to representing Southern cultures. So their strategy yeah. ended up being like mostly remaining silent on the histories of racism and colonialism, and they do present bits of the problematic stuff as outright evil. But A, sometimes it's not evil enough, like represented evil enough. And B, it sometimes feels like it was more virtue signaling because it's not counterbalanced by talking about good stuff. Yeah. Like they took enough risks for the chapter to be overall fine. Maybe it's better than I should expect for 90s White Wolf, but still. That being said, if you're running a Kingdom of Willows game and you want all the ins and outs of the political dynamics, you're set with this chapter. Yep. That concludes book one. Book two. Dreams of a Troubled Future. Yeah. Chapter four, Kithane of the Kingdom. This to me is if you really want to do a political game in mm. Kingdom of Willows. This is the important chapter though. So here's my soapbox moment. Here's what I'm going to say. I love this chapter. I love the way it was constructed and presented, mm-hmm. which is basically the NPCs are not given stats, which is a bold choice, but I really like it because it lets you 
scale and tailor each one to your specific game, as well as freeing up more line space for their biographies. Mm -hmm. I mean, they mentioned like here, the arts they have here, the treasures they have, but also they add the specific story connection because what I'm really noticing, and this is the chapter where it really stood out to me. I think this book, what they're trying to do is improve upon the immortal eyes formula of trying to make a setting book that can involve the characters in the meta plot. If the group desires, yes. But the meta plot they're doing is a lot more fluid with yeah. more points of connection because it's a political whodunit rather than a MacGuffin quest like mm -hmm. the Immortalized. Yeah, like this is how I'd want a campaign book or whatever, right? Yeah. Like when we get to the future books of the meta plot, whether or not it follows through that way, but like this, it's like you get this setup, you have lots of characters, later on they have advice, you get all this stuff going on, and it's like, go have fun. Yeah. Whatever the player characters do, as long as they get involved in it, it things are going to happen. And that's great. Yeah. That being said, some of these bios are probably longer than they need to be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the first one is for Milga, and it's two and a half solid pages of tiny text. So. <laughs> but it's also, I actually, I found this helpful. <laughs> is right up well, specifically. Yeah, I love it. I know a lot of people hate it, especially when... You know, you're a player and you hand in a five page backstory and your storyteller's like, give me a break. But I love it. So because it's yeah. these entire vignette backstories. Like, but there's a difference between a player handing me a five page backstory and I have to play this character. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes a long way towards giving you motivations, role playing strategies and hints and directions they're going like their plots and plans. It's mm -hmm. very, very thorough. Yeah. And he is the central character in many yes. of this whole plot. Well, but some of the other ones who are not by any means central have two, yeah. <laughs> two pages. No, I just meant of. his, I'm just defending his write-up. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. Let's go through. Okay, so we have the main characters of Malga. Yes, Melga is the King of Willows and the antagonist with double underlines. He's a commoner hating mm -hmm. Elinid Shi Shadow Court crime lord who murdered and replaced the previous and hated King Barabbas, and he has a mask that makes people like him. Mm-hmm. We have the Feralith. His adopted heir, a debutante who King David fell for and married, who's now showing more backbone in his absence than most people expected. Yep. And is one of the High Queens. The High Queen. Yes, well, depends on who you Or ask. so she would have it, yeah. Yeah. We have uh, Seif. Safe, which means sword, which yeah. is a bit on the nose, but okay. <laughs> he's a Muslim issue from Atlanta who was chosen by Caliburn to find David and thereby knighted. And he's probably the most straightforward, good major metaplot character. Mm -hmm. He's like the paladin. Yep. We have real, real. Melga's spymaster Slua and Shadow Court Poisoner. Who also gives me questions about how things were supposed to work in Colombia at the time, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, Sabrina Lennon Corvald. This is where I'm starting to be like, I have enough write-ups now. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting too long. The subtitle for this book is Too Many Dukes. Yeah. But um, Too Many Nobles. Yeah. But Sabrina is the Leonin socialite and shadow court mover and shaker who hosted the ball where the king was abducted. Yeah, Baron O'Donnell. The Unsealiskaha captain of the guard for Milga. And he's kind of his handler. He's unsealy, but sticks to the sealy code for some reason, yes. Yeah. When he's kind of like the pressure valve for Melga, like keeping him in yeah. check. I like that he has a sword that forces people to fight fair. Yep. And then we have Wisteria Hall Savannah. I'll just go yep. through these. Just keep throwing names and I'll keep throwing descriptions. Okay, Count Morig. Privileged Gwydion Preservationist, which is very difficult to say. We have 
someone whose name I can't pronounce because I think it's Welsh. Cruin. And Kruin. she's yeah. a walking stereotype that I don't really want to go into. Yeah. And then briefly, we get references to the floors primeval again, but that's in another book. Yeah. Floors primeval. We have Alina, Duchess of the Southern Coast. I kind of like the notion of a fallen duchy, and I'm curious to hear more of that because there is no mm-hmm. duchy of the Southern Coast. And yeah. it's like, what happened with that? Baron Arwan and Baroness Eloine. Trying to unmask King Melgia. I see what mm-hmm. you did there, writers. Yep. And then we get the Duchy of Cotton, Duke Firedrake, the Iron King. Yes. He was raised from toddlerdom by a shadow court lady, and he's the ironmonger to the king, as well as keeper of a chimerical dragon, who's wonderful. Oh, that's the dragon that I like. Yeah, that's the... Uh... Yes. He thinks he's the seneschal. That dragon's like one of my favorite NPCs in this book. And then Ergrania of House Gwydion, the unacknowledged duchess. Yes, she's an ally of Fairleth. She is loved by Firedrake, and I believe her freehold makes people go into Bedlam. If I yeah, she's not. Correctly. She keeps feeling bad. She's not taking care of her duchy that may or may not exist. Yes, and then the Right Reverend Percivance Matthews, also known as Percy. Yep, the Evangelical Pelican Puka who does faith healings. Yep, this feels like you get like cards against humanity, or like like a bunch <laughs> of cards that just. At changeling like adjectives and stuff and nouns and just pulled it out <laughs> i often feel that way about most of the npc sections in these books though to be fair yeah but that one worked i thought <laughs> yep duchy of delta crescents lisette levee she is the valor black spiral dancer kinfolk bayou voodoo queen who makes the glamour soaked drug for melga that he uses to drug david and fairleth mm-hmm. pearl baroness of the big easy which is the best title of any character. But she's an issue who owns the riverboat freehold known as the Mississippi Pearl. You have the Duchy of Palmetto, Duke Antoine. Antoine, there we go. Antoine. Yeah. He is a Vietnamese refugee, Liam Shi, who's ostracized by the others for his origins. Yeah. So they have a Liam and no connection to all that religious stuff they're talking about. Okay. Yeah. Scintilla, mistress of the... The Gullifreeland. Yes. Yep. She's an issue who's been awake for over 80 years, and she is the de facto head of the Free State. But I don't think she's, they... She's planning on being around at least for another 20 years. At least. Maybe you could still have her in your game now. I think she's still around. Yeah. <laughs> and we have Duchy of the Triangle, Duke Murdoch of House Dougal, the professor. Yeah, so as someone who is an adjunct instructor, whenever students call me professor, I get this bittersweet feeling where I want to be like, thank you, kids, but not yet. And that's what I imagine he's like, because he's just a lecturer at UNC Chapel Hill. But yeah. he made milk his mask. Yeah, he, he also... Are are they calling him like a Star Trek Vulcan and he just doesn't know what to get the reference? Uh, Yes, I think so. Okay. <laughs> and then we have Rooster Langoler, his knocker. I think I like their relationship. Well, his, his best friend as well. <laughs> yeah. He's into car racing and customizing cars for... Racing. He's not really into car racing. He's just into customizing cars for racing. For, for racing, yeah. yeah. He's the pit crew for the Duke. Yeah. Duchy of Appalachia. Duchess Dianan. I really feel like she was just an excuse to mention the Jonesboro Storytelling Festival. But... Uh, yeah, she gets like almost two pages to do that. Yeah. But she's also the daughter of an autumn person. She There's some of that pre-shattering she stuff and... She has a former lover who's a troll. Count Bjorno? That's the one. 
So it seems like they had crossed the ocean and then fled into the dreaming and then were reincarnated 600 years later or something. But Mm. yes, he is her troll bodyguard and former lover. And he once found the cup of dreams. Hollis Burnett, mayor of Coal Town. A knocker former coal miner who runs the Thorpe. Gadiel of House Baylor, Lord of the Twisted Oak. Yes. He's sort of a mishmash constructed from various decadent unseelie bits, but I think I actually like him as a villain. Yeah, this made me think, though, we needed, like, this should, I wish this came out after Book of Lost Houses, just so we could have more houses Mm. for some of these. But he works as a Balor, I feel. Yeah, I think, yeah. And so does the other Balor. Rebellor, he's but... he's just he happily murders people happily experiments with dark glamour happily has like misshapen servants and whatever and yep. you know classic there's a picture in his write-up i don't quite know what she's supposed to be a giant woman or something i don't know i think she's hanging out with the nunyahi little people okay other appellation kithane so it's like oh we're out of the noble countess Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah well these are the ones that we saw before Yep. So, High Castle Crafters. As seen in Freeholds and Hidden Glens. Duchy of Bluegrass's Duke Araby Apquidian. He raises fairy steeds, but then he also has a secret identity as Super Vigilante Lord Justice. Basically Batman. Garvey, Seneschal of Bluegrass's. It's his Alfred. I mean, it's Batman and Alfred. That's what it is. <laughs> and then the other Kithane of the area. So we have Django Hillrunner. He is an issue renter musician with Nunihi connections. Opportunity to talk more about the musical culture that wasn't really taken very far. Yep. Uh, Jeruna? Cave Slua Matriarch. Duchy of Graceland. Yeah, here he is. Oh, a little Confederate Elvis asshole. So just staying that description, I think could have worked as a villain for this book. But they keep harping on how he's not racist. And I'm like, what are you? Yep. It's it's that kind of thing, which I'm just like, I want to throw the book across the room. <laughs> yeah. And then Calvert. His red cat bodyguard. Enough said. Yeah. Duchy of Ozarks. Carrie Dunwood. I actually find her interesting because I think she's the only Slua who's a noble with this level of title. And she is a gymnast who's... The heir to the duchy, but functionally the duchess, because her predecessor was exiled for being too reformist, mm-hmm. too commoner loving. And I think she's actually pretty cool. She wanted to be an Olympic gymnast, but then she crystallized. So, alas. Duchy of Dogwood, Duke Cormac Daisy. So it's Cormac, but then also yeah. Baron Ash, his lover. This is the gay couple with lack of self-awareness, because he made his best friend and lover a baron and a lot of people freaked out about that but hey there's nothing about what this is the 90s and neither of them died so i think we have to give bonus points to that but count rule of james river the old money gwydion who thinks he deserves the dukedom then washington dc duke siva and duchess kali the Balor and Elil twins, who are children of Indian immigrants and who claim autonomy over the Duchy of Shadows so they can mess stuff up in DC. Yeah, this gets into weird metaphysical and history questions about Changeling that don't get answered anywhere else. So. Frankly, there are weirder ones, though. <laughs> yes. In this I'll book, take even, it. yeah. Yeah. Ayami, Seneschal of the Court of Mirrors? Yeah. Another Liam, a Japanese American Liam who manages David's secret DC court. The Court of Mirrors. Yep. 
Othered Washington Kithane, Balthazar, the Baron of Washington. Raccoon Puka, who eats dreams of politics. He's very cuddly. Yes, he's my favorite. Madame Varvara. A satyr shadow court informant who experiments with creating sex dross that goes awry. The disputed duchy of Winterthorn, Duke Gorier. Yeah, Apquidian. He's a Gwydion in Bedlam with a whole-ass chimerical daughter. And he resents Duke Araby because he's like, oh, you just run around breeding horses. And he has no idea that the Duke is actually a crime-fighting vigilante. Mm. Duchy of Chesapeake, Duchess Elena and Anastasia. Yeah, she's a Russophile, so she gave herself an extensive Russian name. And I'm like, okay. But she's a Fiona party planner, and she's very popular in the Kingdom of Willows. And she has a pretty cool treasure. It's like a get-out-of-death-free card. Hmm. King Jasper the Wicked. Her ward, who is a shadow court childling hellion of a satyr who plans to eventually off the Duchess. Yeah. They really invested in working the shadow court under the surface of a lot of these. Yeah, it feels a bit overstuffed, but usually yeah. these things are understuffed, so I'm okay. Yeah, that's true. Strolling players. So you haven't heard of him, but his name's High King David. And yeah, it's he got nothing to say. They have very little to say about him, actually. Well, this is like the fourth time he's gotten a write-up, so... Yeah, they actually just summarize him in this book, basically. Uh, yes. Who's the? How do you pronounce the next one? Clay Arduad. Yeah, he's basically Lancelot, and now he's the queen's bodyguard instead of the king's. Mm-hmm. And then we have more art. That wait, is this a Nosferatu about to eat some she? Uh, yes, I think so. Yes, as we move into chapter five, let's just let's just keep going. Let's just yeah. get through the other ones. Chapter five: Galane and others. Nunyehi. A lot of Nunyehi. And they're much more fleshed out here. <laughs> they yeah. actually point to mortal lives. And I'm like, thank you. Finally. Yep. Not just the one dimensional paper cut out. They have war bands that we keep getting. Yeah. So. We have Grey Eagle. Chief of the Achota Council Lands, a Nanyahi Indian rights activist who hates Melge. Ezusa Whitestone. An elder Yunwitsunsi who manages Spirit Rock Freehold in the Duchy of Cotton. Crying Tears. A Nanyahi allied with the Garu and the Puka, who wants to just preserve stories. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure, aligned with the Puka, like, just... Well, who, who would it be? <laughs> yeah, okay. Just, just, the Puka is a is a monolithic political group. So it's... <laughs> Ayana Flower That Blooms. A Thoughtcrafter ambassador who works at Jamestown. I was thinking about this earlier because they make reference to how the site of Jamestown is also a sacred space called the cleansing place for the mm-hmm. local Nunyahi. Wouldn't that also be kind of banal, though? Because it's kind of like the flashpoint of English colonialism in history. Yeah. So, Well, if, if a sacred site's been defamed, it's still sort of a sacred site. But... I guess so, yeah. I guess someone has to keep the lights on. And it's Ayana flower that blooms in this case. Yeah. Smiling River. A Mimigueshi lifeguard at the Blackwater Refuge. Leaping Waters. A Yunwia Meinehi outdoorsy prankster at White Foam, which I think was like a whitewater freehold. Hmm. And we have the Lost Ones, Lord Tamlin. A pre-shattering she lost in the mountains, previously seen in Freeholds and Hidden Glens. It says Fiddler of Lost Dreams. That predates fiddling, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Fair, fair point. <laughs> uh, Sir Dwilla? Sweet Magnolia? 
Yes, a lost one locked in a stand of pink magnolia trees for centuries. And what is happening in that art? Good lord. <laughs> Her tentacles with teeth have come out to play. It reminds me of some experiments I've done with AI art when it just goes, <laughs> what are you doing here? Accurate. And now we have the Ananime. Another yeah. take on the Ananime that's different from Ananime the Secret Way. So I think every single take we've gotten so far has been different. Yeah. Statuaries, also called golems. And they also say here, well, nymphs are technically inanime. They are listed separately. Well, here they're they're becoming inanime at this point, and they're both tree associated. So I'm like, I feel like they meant for these to be kubera. Uh, the trees and rock formations. I mean, the two examples in this case are both linked to trees. Yeah. All right, and the angel oak, and Evelyn, the lady of Bayou Saint John. Evangeline. Hey, maybe. Uh, river hags are actually a type of nymph. Potentially. We'll have to discuss that when we get to Kith Book Redcap. But I, I quite like Evangeline, the Lady of Bayou St. John, because she's like, she's struggling, but she likes riddles and songs and people visit her and she's the Bayou Queen. She also has unlimited amounts of kenning, which is like, what does that even mean? But yeah, yeah there's mean. a few little mechanics. Somebody here has like a treasure gives you seduction one or something. I was like, what? <laughs> anyway, uh, prodigals we have vampires i think i like dominic g fellows i i do like him yeah the g is for giovanni his pseudo friendship which he can with the king so he's like a rival crime lord which is like that's that's a direction i don't think i've ever seen changeling go but i'm here for it yep vampires generally avoided but thoroughly present because this is the south we have werewolves uh monica hawthorne Glasswalker, who just does not understand what banality is <laughs> She wants to monetize Duke Murdoch's creations, and he's like, no. And then we have mages Annalie Bonadieu, spirit talker. I was, from a mage perspective, I'm confused by her, but. She's kind of a Unitarian priestess in New Orleans, I guess. Of the dream speakers. It, it is useful that they give the note here that there's a celestial chorus in the Bible Belt, Euthanatos in New Orleans. Yeah. The dream speakers being embedded in communities of color. I'm kind of like, sigh. And then the yeah. verbena in the backwoods on ancient fairy sites. I'm also like, sigh. But yeah. And then wraiths. Once again, there's something weird about changeling books that comes up sometimes. These are not wraiths. These are ghosts. <laughs> mm. I never played enough wraith to have much thought on that, but I get the point. Like it's an interesting ghost character. I wouldn't even call them NPC because they're not playable enough well he, he has a fetter at least <laughs> yeah but it's like they're trapped in this thing i don't know if wraith has something like that I thought, you know. it's an interesting character though i mean they yeah. mentioned that there are so many wraiths in the area which makes sense but it's the confederate soldier who killed his union soldier brother and feels like eternal guilt yeah he's undergone so many harrowings that his memories have been stripped from him and then we're told there are Dante, mortals, enchanted, and autumn people in the south. Well, I think the enchanted and the autumn people are both subcategories for the mortals. Yeah, that's true. The headers do weird things in this book. <laughs> yeah. And the general notes on them, they certainly run the gamut. I think the emphasis on the more banal types being caught up in things like the moral panic stuff and the culture wars, like that's the kind of antagonists that I think yeah. we need more attention to here. Mm -hmm. but i could actually see myself using some of these which is very rare for the throwaway galleon chapter <laughs> mm -hmm. and very few of them maybe 
none of them are actually integrated into the metaplot story. Like one of them sort of is. Yeah. The vampire. Yeah, that's true. So overall, I mean, what are your thoughts on the two character chapters? Because we did just fly through yeah. about 70 pages. So. <sighs> like we said about some of those character write-ups were too long for the character. And I feel like I'm wondering if there's a way this book could have been organized differently to make it easier. Because it's just this giant same character descriptions for many, many pages. The only thing that I think they could have done maybe differently because the way I see it is that if you wanted to run a game in the kingdom of willows, what you should first do is pick the specific duchy in which you want to run it Mm -hmm. and then kind of cross-reference the geography section with the characters and maybe having like 13 mini chapters would have worked better to kind of pull that information together. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. But then within the that one the Ozarks chapter would have been Well, right. Pages. Then yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so it looks better when it's like this. Yeah. Um but I I mean it gives you a lot of freedom to run the game and the story connections that you want to make yeah. to the meta plot and kind of modulate it to what you need. Because like I said, each of these bios, for the most part, they're rich enough for their own chapter or even story within a larger chronicle. Yeah, I think as a whole, it's good to have this for certain complaints we've brought up aside and issues. But yeah. like as a whole, I think it's useful for running in the Kingdom of Wills. Yeah. And to your point about the sort of cards against humanity method of kind of assembling character traits, I feel like they went out of their way to kind of wave their arms and say, not everyone in the South is white, which, yeah, good. I'm down with that. It just, it sometimes felt like tokenism. Yeah. So, but I'd rather have an attempt at diversity rather than no diversity. That Mm -hmm. being said, all of the she-dukes, for the most part, still seem to be white, with the exception of Antoine. Yeah. So, no, there's there's also the the Baylor. She was well, not a duke, I guess, but yes, all most of the she are white. Yeah, and then we have chapter six storytelling that starts out with kind of like a summary of what happened. Do we should we should we say spoiler here? And yeah, if you spoiler. want to actually run this chronicle, maybe don't listen to the next minute yeah. or so. Well, no, um, play this chronicle. <laughs> yes play this chronicle running this chronicle you do want to listen or at least read it yeah so step by step Melgia wants the throne of concordia so he plots to get rid of david he organizes a meet cute between his ward Fairleth and the high king but they unexpectedly fall for each other i also didn't realize before reading this how creepy morwen comes across here because it's like she's david's sister but they used to be lovers and i'm like well that's weird but I guess it's like a Morgan Le Fay sibling mm-hmm. incest thing. Well, it's also like they were before they took over the bodies. And it's kind of like, Ugh. yeah, it's some Star Wars stuff. Still, though. Yeah. So eventually David and Fairless get married on Beltane and decide to do this royal grand tour that starts in the kingdom of Willows to honor David's new, I guess, sort of father-in-law. And then at the masked ball, Milga glamour drugs them both so he can have David abducted and push Fairleth into claiming the throne, which he then plans to seize. But unexpectedly, Caliburn abandons David and arrives at Sir Safe, and Fairleth is like, I'm going to knight you. You go find my husband. And There's something here. I can think of why, but I would have liked it if they put it, especially in this chapter, if they put in why he didn't kill David. It, it is in here. Okay. I can't remember where. <laughs> okay. 
it's because like if he killed David, then David would reincarnate, kind of thing. I think was part, or of at it. least Caliburn would move on to the next thing, or something. right? Yeah, and... like it would have been too messy. Mm-hmm. There is reference to why. Yeah. Anyway, so then the queen's going to continue the tour. Sertley becomes her guard, and Mergia is forced to go to additional plots. There's another reference where they say that this is starting off the meta plot for the successive kingdom books for Changeling. And it just makes me think about what could have been. Mm -hmm. But anyway, the predominant story strand to come out of all of this is the power struggle between Feralith and Morwen and Lenore's supporters. And then there's this note that the upheaval in the land reflects the confusion that David is experiencing. And it makes me think like with the King land connection, what must be going on in the Concordian dreaming at this point? Like, the chemical world must just be a mess. Yeah. The near dream, got beat up by iron and drugged. and Yeah. Possibly going to a strip club. I was a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> and drinking. Yeah, I hadn't read this before, C20. I'm like, oh, I understand C20 a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> With the return of David. Yeah, I mean, this definitely gives a lot of context for all of it. Yeah. And they talk about, there's like a few, yeah, there's a few things. There's the... Yeah, you can do the Chronicle of Caliburn. It says that Safe is seeking knighthood, but he's actually already been knighted. And it makes me think, oh, he's seeking to earn his knighthood, which I think is a really nice character yeah. trait. There's the theme of masks that gets highlighted here, where it's like literal masks in some cases, but then also these figurative ones, like people having a double agenda or being underestimated. And ultimately, it does a better job of kind of hitching together the Shakespearean with the Arthurian than Mm -hmm. Immortalized did, I think. Yeah. We have some other story ideas, because not everybody wants to structure their chronicle around a manufactured metaplot, which is good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Except then, the three that we get, it's like Decay in the South, which is still centered on King Melchia. The Country Story, which is Slice of Life in the South. And I'm like, "Mm, all right. And then Battlefield Dreams, which I'm definitely going to take a hard pass on because I don't play Changeling to do Civil War reenactment stuff. So I would say if you want other story ideas, go look at any of the 50 biographies that are two pages long. Well, there's also all the regional stories. Yeah, I mean, they're fine. I think my favorites are probably Bluegrasses because you can run a story that's basically Batman's horse has escaped. Uh, (laughs) And then um, the Duchy of Cotton is a Shakespearean love farce romantic farce so mm-hmm. there's also Nunez stories which aren't really fleshed out and crossover stories which all right like i said i think the giovanni rivalry one is could yeah. go the most places and i would love to see like a wraith changeling halloween crossover that's deep southern mm-hmm. gothic you know more southern gothic is necessary yeah how to tell a southern story how do we tell a southern story josh i, I don't know this book helped me with that <laughs> well it's like oh there's a long tradition of storytelling okay isn't that true for most places (laughs) you have to establish mood using natural landscapes and eating establishments okay but this doesn't tell me people eat food okay i know that there's creole cooking and there's seafood in maryland i assume louisiana is what they mean that's it and don't do bad accents okay that's actually helpful (laughs) And don't be too stereotypical. Which is pretty rich coming from a 90s White Wolf book. <laughs> I mean, as far as 90s White Wolf books go. Yeah. I thought. I mean, it's thin advice, but it's good. So, And then we have a timeline that I think starts out with something that they said differently. 
because it repeatedly says that he was elected king of willows in 1990 it does yes and now it's saying 1975 yeah well inconsistencies it's like how technocracy agents enchanted longer I do wonder if it would have been better to have the inspirational media stuff here, because if you're talking about how to tell a Southern story, it seems mm-hmm. like that's when you would want to have yeah. that. But eh, as a chapter, it's fine. Yep. And then there's a picture that just makes me have questions. <laughs> Any particular ones? Can, can I play the uh, deer centaur? Sure. And I don't know who has the fiddle, but I think he's mortal doesn't have pointed ears at least this is a very fairy story but not change pictures right i mean i wonder what the art direction notes were i'm i'm willing to forgive rebecca guay for almost anything so yep but yes as we enter the appendix we get the 14th nunyahikith the thought crafters who i actually really like them i think yeah. that they're disgustingly overpowered but they're fantastic <laughs> they're my favorite nunyahikith because they're like knockers well and they're not really culture specific they're kind of a generalized trickster slash crafter yeah eastern seaboard algonquian origin but yeah if they wanted to make some people want kiths to not be so culture specific i'm like yeah this is one that would still be there yeah it's it's a good example of like how to do that i think and then we have totem spirits they're fine hey man you get oh this is the one with the Magnolia gives you an additional point of appearance and seduction one. But you can't pick her delicate blossoms. Yeah. What is seduction one? And what if you already have seduction two? You know how to pout. <laughs> okay. Well, no, you shouldn't have seduction two because nobody should be spending dots on secondary abilities. Yeah. Is it a is it an established secondary ability? Or is it Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. Okay. Unlike the other book where we had someone who had spitting three, that is not, to my knowledge, <laughs> an established one. Anyway, the thought crafters get bonuses to dexterity and wits, and they can restore or intensify glamour, and their only drawback is that they're curious. Seems like a fair trade to me. Yeah, I mean, this is still second edition. And then we have treasures. Yes, we have actual stats for Caliburn, which is pretty awesome. It does a lot does a lot of stuff and then says it might do other things i liked it yeah and it, t- it teleports around and gets away from you it's, it's a lot of avoiding problems yep for it not you not the wielder we also have white lightning which is moonshine that causes people who drink it to be under the effects of chicanery one mm-hmm. and the riddle master which i loved which is a dulcimer that has soothsay one and gives cryptic clues through its music and there's fiddles which are an early example here the fiddle focus of like just put a cantrip in your treasure well actually that's also what uh riddle master is really it's true but i still like it better than the fiddle yep. dream bane yes the glamour drug designed by Gazette. and dream shield its antidote mm-hmm. so yeah some cool treasures and some cool creatures fey steeds fey hounds both of which yeah. are very important in face stories. So it's good to have stats and powers for them here. But again, shout out to Andrew Goodman and Paved with Good yeah. Intentions. I like, for... I like his, I think his was yeah. an improvement upon these. Agreed. But this is where they all start. Yeah, I'm a little bit confused with the power. What power do they actually have, the horses? They can enter trods? Does that mean they open trods that couldn't normally be opened? Or do they just happen to come along with you when you open a trod? Or No, no, I think it's, I think it's you can ride one into a yeah. trod without needing to open it yourself uh, okay that's very useful yeah. 
and the dog can do it too this is like the weird dog show dogs possibly are coming from weird from fairy hound yes here you got chinese crested chihuahua mix or something i i outside my area of expertise i'll admit okay and then we get a picture with a naked fairy in the kingdom of willows yes the map and the map is actually useful, I think, because they don't just yeah. show the borders. They actually mark all of the, like, freeholds yeah. and enchanted places. And it fits the description. <laughs> <too. laughs> yes. <laughs> it is actually a map of what they've been talking about. Yep. And then my book ends with an ad for Sorcerer's Crusade and an ad for Vampire Revised. Nice. But... I'm using the PDF, so it's just the boring. Oh, well. What is the Onyx Path? I wish that there were more glass icons for like freeholds and books and concept specific stuff, because I really like the little willow with a crown that's on the back cover. So what do you think of this book? Oh God, there's a marathon. Well, overall, I think that if a bit outdated and kind of glossing over a few things, it is indispensable for anyone who wants to run a chronicle in the kingdom of willows mm-hmm. uh, or who wants to engage with the core of the early second edition meta plot that directly informed the C21. Yeah. It really explained the meta plot to me. I, I, yeah, there were some details I did not understand from yeah. reading some of the other books. This is where it comes from. Oh yeah. And I really, I love the format and the approach they took. I will admit yeah. The Kingdom of Willows is not a setting that I'm particularly interested to run a game in, yeah. but I really like how they how they constructed their take on it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's decent. I wish there was more books like this for when, like, if you have a more of a dro- globe trotting or at least Concordia trotting game, mm-hmm. right? So you're like, oh, well, apparently there were supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, you're going to spend three sessions in the Kingdom of Willows. Well, this book's handy, right? Just to pull stuff out. Yeah. And know what to ignore. But therein lies the rub. Yeah. But I think I think it's pretty obvious what to ignore for at least most people I know. Yeah. It certainly earned its page count. And I think I think, yeah, for its I don't think it's lost utility that much since it came out. It's true. Particularly because in C twenty they kept most of the nobles the exact same people. So Yeah. They did some other later meta plot reversals in c20 but they didn't reverse this one it seems so yep okay we have a couple questions from the discord yep. from andrew goodman we have why was there no love for maryland in this book as someone that grew up in the state there's so much that could be done with the duchy of chesapeake of course it doesn't really fit culturally with the rest of the kingdom of willow so maybe it should be its own little pseudo kingdom like washington dc mm-hmm. i would say i don't think it should be its own pseudo kingdom but I would be fine with it being hitched to the kingdom of apples instead. I do Mm -hmm. think there's love for the story of the Duchess and her ward and the political backstories in the DC Fay, but they have very little to do with like the state of Maryland itself or the district itself. And again, like I said, I think that there were a few blind spots in the author's direct experience like Arkansas. I suspect they didn't spend much time in Maryland. I would have liked an Arkansas in-depth thing because I have no idea what to do with Arkansas. Right. (laughs) Me neither. And it does feel a little imbalanced as a result that some territories get so much compared to the rest. Mm -hmm. But That being said, I will point out once again, Awakenings on the Storyteller's Vault by Ian Lemke is set in Baltimore. And perhaps Mm -hmm. there will be a link in the show notes. 
So then Andrew also asks, on that note, just how much do you think mortal ideas of their country should shape the Fey landscape? Should DC be more of a thing? Is Milka driven by dreams of the South rising again? Do or should mortal politics influence Fey politics? And if so, then how and how much? The obvious answer is as much as you and your players want them to, but I'd love to hear what people think and have done in their own games. I think I don't quite like the balance it does in Changeling in general. I like more of a unconscious vibe thing Hmm. so like i feel like the fey society should reflect what mortals who live there would think about that place Mm -hmm. but not oh washington dc is the capital so obviously king david needs a place there and then we're gonna do everything (laughs) along state line the lines of culture and where the dreams thing don't really always follow the official political boundaries it's true there's a lot of situations you're like Okay, yeah, those two places might be in the same state, but like maybe one state over, like, you know what I mean? Like, draw the lines, not always yeah, along yeah, state yeah. lines. Having the South as a kingdom, sure, but maybe it doesn't have to be exactly the. Yeah. Overall, I think the book thinks that mortal and fey politics should influence each other, and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's better to err on the side of less is more. In Mm -hmm. part because I feel like fey political concerns would kind of be, they would cut across mortal concerns, but like there would be some issues they would care passionately about and then have fey problems that don't matter to mortals and then have other political things that they'd have zero stake in. So like it doesn't matter. They're they're not going to care which laws were passed in the state versus the other state. Some of them. Some of them. You might care about the law, (laughs) but but I mean is it's not going to make it so it's, like, okay, first of all, you have things like freeholds with trots, or even borders are kind of funny like that. But, like, with between states, like, what is it that makes two states distinct is not necessarily the same thing that makes two duchies or kingdoms or whatever distinct. Exactly, yeah. 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 Even if you're going by what the mortals are. Yeah. Just as a postscript, I also want to say I don't think Milgia is driven by dreams of the South rising again. I think he's just power-hungry and opportunistic. Yeah. And then... um a storyteller asks, King Milga is the only king in Concordia to depose a ruler from the Accordance War. Is this something that was underdeveloped or an unresolved plot hook? And yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there's too many. I, like, like, oh, they all live in their freeholds. But even if you're not aging out, I don't think the Fae should be that. Even if you're like a duke, like there's assassinations. There's just like things happen. Like something could happen to make you no longer, even if you're not deposed you, you could go through the forgetting you could just mortal death you could get lost in the dreaming you could fall to bedlam and i mean i'm okay with the political assassination being a piece of the the history mm-hmm. especially because it factors so heavily into milga's biography and a yeah. few others but what i find interesting is how changeling kind of picks and chooses which pieces of its own history are more important than others and mm-hmm. i feel like yeah with this one in particular because like you said, it's 1990, not 1975. So at the time of this book's writing, that's still pretty recent. And there should be more about those ripple effects mm-hmm. from the murder of someone who's basically still an unseen character. So Yeah, he should still be built. Like he's, he's power hungry, but it sounds like he's pretty cemented his kingdom at that point. Which if all the kings are typically, like if the previous king was around that long. Right. Like surely he still has supporters or pretenders or whatever. And all of the people yeah. who are against Melga seem to be against him less for that, because Barabbas was awful, and more for, like, his own. Yeah. So, 
but it's more of a high level political arc than we get elsewhere in the line. So I guess for people who want that, it's good. Is it like all the other monarchs have been around since like Concordia was founded? Uh, kind of, yeah. Well, Aaron hasn't because Aaron we had a whole yeah. subplot with her. But yeah, I think all the rest of them have. <laughs> yeah, I think it was just like half of them that would make more yeah. sense. They should all be in Bedlam by now. Mm-hmm. Especially since it was before C20. Yes. But anyway, thanks for the questions, listeners. Yeah. So, Josh, if other people want to reach out and leave us questions for episodes, where can they go? Yeah. Well, uh, they can email us, podcast at changelingthepodcast.com. They can go to our Discord. That's the best way to get in touch with us, I think. Discord.me slash CTP. You can go to our website, changelingthepodcast.com. You can uh, send us a toot changelingpod at dice.camp that's on mastodon you can go to our facebook page which is beginning some more engagement actually uh for changeling the podcast that's all of them right i think so yes or just send balloons with messages attached we'll get them yeah so uh right on once again i'm josh i am legally compelled to admit that i am still puka yeah and uh yeah when the guy says He's all Confederate happy. No, he's racist. I'm sorry. I don't remember what the book says. Yeah, basically. And just, you know, steer clear of all things Elvis related. It's better for everybody. Advice for the future. In the spirit of this book's attention to detail on enchanted places, here's an experiment zooming in on the Kingdom of Willows portion on the map of unusual and surprising locations provided by Atlas Obscura, mostly in search of deer centaurs, or perhaps the stream populated by distractingly buff horsehead men. A few random clicks led to the Land of Oz in Beach Mountain, North Carolina, a somewhat decrepit theme park inspired by, of course, all things Oz-related. Attractions range from a tilting house meant to simulate being inside a tornado, to a museum featuring props from the film, no doubt laden with glamour. While the park is now sporadically open for an autumn festival and other events, its somewhat vandalized and half-abandoned state could make an interesting freehold for the right motley. Anyway, this has been an experiment. Such exercises are fostered by the support of our listeners, first and foremost our patrons, namely Derek, Dorchidas, Jason Vines, Oreo, Roz Caboos, Sandjager, Sija, Terry Robinson, and Tricera Beth. If you want to help us continue bringing Changeling content from our voice box into your earballs, you can sign up to join these hallowed ranks at www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast, and or feel free to leave a review on the podcast listening platform of your greatest convenience. Thanks very much for listening, and until next time, keep on dreaming.